0: It is Elizabeth Tudor's Catholic cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was remembered as the Queen's principal royal rival. But until the death of Lady Catherine Grey, Elizabeth feared this English Protestant royal cousin far more. This is not a truth that fits with the Elizabethan myths. So Catherine's dramatic life is largely forgotten, along with one of the great love stories of English history. I am the historian Leander Delisle. ...uncovering the Tudors and Stuarts behind the myths. To recover the lost story of Catherine Gray... ...we must return to the dying months... ...of the reign of Elizabeth's elder half-sister, Mary I. There was an influenza epidemic... ...and Catherine, aged 18, blonde and beautiful... ...was nursing a sick girlfriend at the girls' home. Her friend's tall, slim 19-year-old brother... ...Ned Seymour, Earl of Hertford, was also there and during the course of that country house summer, they fell in love. Catherine and Ned were warned their romance was dangerous. Queen Mary was sick, and the love affair posed a threat to Mary's successor, Elizabeth. Under the will of Catherine's great-uncle, Henry VIII, backed by statute, Catherine followed Elizabeth in line to the throne. It was possible, however, that if Catherine was married and had a male heir, the Protestant political elite would prefer her... To the unmarried and childless Elizabeth. Indeed they had form in this regard. In 1553 King Henry's son Edward VI had cut his half-sisters Mary and Elizabeth out of his will and bequeathed his throne to Catherine's elder sister Jane Grey. The Protestant elite had backed his decision principally because Mary was a Catholic but also because the Tudor sisters were unmarried while Jane Grey had a husband. Mary Tudor supported by thousands of ordinary people, had overthrown Jane only nine days after Jane was proclaimed Queen in London. But, as Elizabeth never forgot, the Greys had continued to plot against Mary. With Jane in the Tower, their father had taken part in a rebellion. When it failed, Jane was executed. In modern accounts, she died an innocent. But the real Jane was someone we would recognise today, a teenage religious ideologue who understood the weapons of propaganda and had embraced death for her cause. Jane had proclaimed herself a Protestant martyr before her death and her last letters were published only weeks later as propaganda. They included a letter written to Catherine as her spiritual and political heir. It is not surprising Elizabeth did not trust Catherine and believed that for her own security she would have to ensure Catherine never had a son. At the time of Queen Mary's death in November 1558, Elizabeth was blissfully ignorant of Catherine's romance. Nevertheless, one of her first actions was to demote Catherine from the privy chamber, whose members served the Queen in her most private rooms. Instead, Catherine was placed in the presence chamber, to which all the gentry had access. It sent out a clear message that those who wanted royal favour should not be friendly with Lady Catherine Grey. Elizabeth remained too busy, however, pursuing her own passion for her married master of the horse, Robert Dudley, to notice the affair between Catherine and Ned. The young couple later remembered the royal progress of 1559 with its summer banquets and garden walks as the time when they fell in love. It was, however, Elizabeth's devotion to Robert Dudley that was the talk of the court. It seemed she only had eyes for him. By the summer of 1560, many believed Elizabeth's affection for Dudley would lead to her overthrow and ambassadors and privy councillors were discussing the arrangement of a suitable future marriage for Catherine as her heir. The Spanish hoped to see Catherine married to a Habsburg. Elizabeth's councillors talked instead of marrying Catherine to the Earl of Arran, leader of the Scottish Protestants. But Catherine had her own way and married Ned in secret. The transcripts of later interviews in the Tower describe Catherine and Ned's wedding night in intimate detail. The service took place in his bedroom at a house on the Thames with only his sister as witness. They toasted their wedding quickly and rushed to bed. They made love twice, with Catherine naked, save for her headdress. Then they dashed back to court so they wouldn't be missed. Over the following months, the couple had sex in all the Queen's palaces as well as at Ned's London house. Catherine became pregnant, but terrified how Elizabeth would react, she wouldn't accept what was happening. With Ned anxious to leave England on a trip round Europe, she ignored what her body was telling her and agreed he could go. She was eight months pregnant when she at last confessed to the Queen's love, Robert Dudley, that she was to have a child. Catherine hoped Dudley would protect her but Elizabeth promptly threw Catherine in the tower and Ned, recalled from his trip round Europe, was also imprisoned. The fact that Ned's mother had royal blood and his father was Edward VI's uncle the Protector Somerset, who had brought Protestantism to England, made Catherine's marriage all the more threatening to Elizabeth. On September 24, 1561, Catherine gave birth to a son in the tower, Edward Seymour, Viscount Beecham, heir to Elizabeth under the will of Henry VIII, following his mother in line of succession. Two days later, the baby was baptised in the church at the tower, only feet from the decapitated remains of his aunt, Lady Jane Grey. Elizabeth, meanwhile, now ordered a church commission to find Catherine's marriage invalid. As the sole witness to it, Ned's sister, had since died and the cleric had vanished, it would be a simple task. Her son could then be labelled a bastard. For Elizabeth, it was vital, however, that they not have a second son. Under canon law, a legal marriage only required a statement of intent to marry before witnesses, followed by intercourse. Catherine and Ned had been interrogated by the Archbishop of Canterbury and senior counsellors on their marriage and told them all they considered themselves man and wife. Any new child would therefore be legitimate should they ever conceive another. The lovers' rooms were only ten feet apart within the mansion house of the Lieutenant Sir Edward Warner. He was sufficiently sympathetic to Catherine to allow her to keep pet dogs and monkeys, even though they damaged the furniture. Warner's deputy went further and permitted messages to pass between the couple. But Ned also succeeded in bribing two of the tower guards to unlock his door and those to Catherine's chambers. On his first visit to her rooms, they had an hour together. They spent it on Catherine's bed of silk-shot damask with its striped quilt of scarlet and gold. There, they made love with joyful heart. Four days later, Ned was in her bed again. But when Ned visited his wife on a third night, he found the door to Catherine's rooms locked. The guards had got cold feet, or perhaps someone senior had got wind of what had occurred. In any event, just when Elizabeth had succeeded in having Catherine's first son declared a bastard, she discovered the 22-year-old princess was about to give birth again. Elizabeth promptly had Sir Edward Warner locked up in his own prison for the lapse of security that had allowed Catherine and Ned to enjoy their conjugal rights. The public mood was behind the lovers, with people demanding to know, ''Why should man and wife be prevented from coming together?'' This only intensified when, at 10.15, on the morning of February tenth, fifteen 1563, Catherine delivered a second son, Thomas Seymour. Two of the tower's wardens played godfather at the christening. Elizabeth was so angry, it was reported she had refused a priest for the baptism. Certainly, there was no time given for celebration at the christening. Ned was hauled before the Star Chamber Court that same day to face his punishment. In front of a courtroom packed with his fellow noblemen, Ned received ruinous fines. Five thousand pounds for impregnating Catherine with her first child, a further five thousand for the second. There was then yet another five thousand for breach of prison. He was also sentenced to jail during the Queen's pleasure. That summer, the couple were moved from the tower and separated. Each was sent to a different country house where they remained under guard. Catherine, Parted not only from her husband but also her elder child, fell into a depression. She stopped eating and wrote desperate, passionate letters to her Ned. Catherine's recollections of their love-making are a very rare example of intimacy to be written during this period. I long to be merry with you as I know you do with me as we were when our sweet little boy was begotten in the tower, the twenty-fifth or twenty-ninth of May. I wish you to be as happy as I was sad when you came to my door for the third time and it was locked. Do you think I can forget what passed between us? No, I cannot. I remember it more often than you know. I have good reason to when I reflect what a husband I have in you. It is a hard fate to be deprived of so good a man. Well, I say good, although you have been naughty. Could you have found it in your heart not to give me a second child so hard on the heels of the first? No, but while I would have liked to rest my weary bones, I don't doubt also I would willingly bear the pain of further childbirth, such as my boundless love for my sweet bedfellow, that I once lay beside with joyful heart and shall again. Your most loving and faithful wife during life, Catherine. Catherine pleaded with Elizabeth for forgiveness, but none came. The miniature of Catherine with the infant Lord Beecham painted at around this time by the female court artist Levina Tierlink, remains the earliest known portrait of an English mother with her baby. A sad reminder for Catherine of all she had lost. But for others, it represented the future. An icon of a Madonna carrying the Lord's anointed, the next King of England, English and Protestant, unlike the Scottish Catholic Mary Stuart. Copies were made and even after 450 years, several still survive. Catherine and Ned had many friends who hoped that the Queen could yet be pressured into naming Catherine or one of her sons as her heir. Yet Catherine never would lie beside her sweet bedfellow again. The unmarried virgin queen left her fertile cousin to rot. As the years passed, Catherine's despair deepened. In January 1568, her warder sent a letter asking for the royal doctor, warning that Catherine was ill, and worse, that she seemed to welcome death. The doctor that arrived from the court found he could do nothing for Catherine. She wanted to die. On the night of 26 January 1568, those at her bedside tried their best to raise her spirits, telling her that, With God's help you shall live and do well many years. Catherine replied firmly, No, no, no life in this world. At about six or seven the next morning, Catherine gave her warder her last messages. She begged Elizabeth to be good to my children and to my lord, for I know this my death will be heavy news to him. She sent Ned the pointed diamond he had given her on their betrothal, her gold wedding band and a memento mori ring engraved with the words, while I lived yours. Catherine's death at nine o'clock that morning, Tuesday 27th January 1568, brought to a close the tragic love story of the Queen's principal English rival. Catherine was only 28. Elizabeth put on a show of grief, as expected at the death of a relative, but it was judged an unconvincing performance. She was afraid of her, the Spanish ambassador noted. Catherine was to be buried in a little chapel near the house where she died, in Yoxford, Suffolk. Ned was freed two years later in 1571, still hoping their elder son, Lord Beecham, would one day be king. When Beecham was 19, he fell in love in the same house as his parents had first begun their romance, but with a gentlewoman not considered grand enough to be a future queen consort. Elizabeth, delighted, gave the marriage her blessing knowing it would destroy the boy's chances for the crown. In 1603, James Stuart, the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, succeeded Elizabeth to the throne. Ned lived long enough to see how unpopular James became. He died aged 84, over 50 years after Catherine. To King James's anger, efforts were still being made to prove the validity of their marriage. Ned and Catherine's grandson, William Seymour, waited until Charles I became king before he disinterred his grandmother from her grave in Suffolk. In 1625, she was buried with her husband. They have a magnificent tomb in Salisbury Cathedral. The inscription, in Latin, describes incomparable consorts who, experienced in the vicissitudes of changing fortune, at length, in the concord that marked their lives, here rest together. The star-crossed lovers who'd been kept apart by Elizabeth for so long are reunited at last. If you would like to know more about Catherine's story, it is covered in more detail in The Sisters Who Would Be Queen, the tragedy of Mary, Catherine and Lady Jane Grey, and also in my biography of the dynasty called simply Tudor. You may also contact me via my website, Facebook or Twitter.